0: First Baptist Church. We're going to get started in just a second, but I just want to mention to you that uh, we had yet another wardrobe kerfuffle at my home this morning. Um, Pastor Laura again picked out this rather extravagant shirt for me to wear and this, this uh, pair of socks, which uh, apparently go with the shirt. I don't know about these things, that she was going to I mean, it was, I, it was panicking, because she was going to have me wear brown shoes with this outfit, and I thought, oh, you can't mix brown and black like that, that's just inappropriate, uh, wardrobe speaking, okay. um, I'll buy the shirt, thank you, Steve, sold, <laughs> um, so anyway, we got through that, and I said, sweetie, If I wear this shirt in combination with my effervescent and bubbly personality, it'll just be too much for people. But she insisted, so here I am. All right. A word of prayer. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to be in your word. We pray that as we do that, you will empower us, enable us to be the people you have called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are not many people flying on airlines these days. I mean, there's still some doing it because they have to or whatnot. But most people who have an option to not fly are not flying. And back in the old days, pre-pandemic, if you went to fly on an airline, one of the things that would happen would be that the flight attendants would go through their routine, right, of uh, encouraging you to think about all those safety uh, measures that the airline had taken to, to do the best they can to keep you safe in that environment buckling your seatbelt and, and um, all oxygen masks that come down and the, the, the bag may not fully inflate but it's still working. Um, I saw a uh uh, video the other day on YouTube, Siva uh, Airlines, which is based out in the Pacific area, apparently they uh, had a, a thing for a while where their flight attendants did that routine by and while they were also dancing to a, the song, Let's Dance, because they knew that people were nodding off during that time, and it's really, really kind of important that you kind of know what the emergency procedures are when you're flying. Um, and so... That little part of those emergency procedures, right? Or that, that plastic card that's in the, in the pocket in front of you, that you theoretically can consult ahead of time, to see what the emergency provisions are, or if some sort of crisis were to erupt. So I'm flying from Santa Maria, California, to Los Angeles International Airport, many, many years ago. courtesy of the United States Air Force and your tax dollars. And we were flying in this twin-engine prop job, which was the mountains were about 12, 2, 12, 3 or whatever in altitude. We were just like right over them. We couldn't have had more than three or 4,000 foot clearance over the mountains. And so we're, we, 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 we go over this one mountain, and uh, we're over this really scenic valley. It back in the days when uh, California had water. And the the plants were mostly green. And so when we looked out the window, it was really kind of nice to see. But all of a sudden, the right prop engine just froze, stopped. Now, it's not like it wound down slowly. It just seized up. And when that happened, the left engine, which was still running perfectly fine, pulled the airplane in that direction. So we did one of these numbers in this 20-passenger, twin-engine prop um, airplane. The woman who was sitting next to me, she grabbed my arm so hard that I had a bruise for about a month on it. But that wasn't the most interesting thing to me about that flight. The most interesting thing to me about that flight was a guy who was seated diagonally across from me so I could see him. While the plane is doing this nosedive to the left, he's pulling out the plastic card. Now he decides to consult it about what might have to happen if the plane gets in trouble. And I'm thinking to myself, buddy, That's a little late to be consulting the card. The sad thing, though, is, at least for me, I think sometimes we approach the Christian life exactly that way. (coughs) The cards in front of us all the time replete with instructions and guidance and wisdom from God, and we don't regularly consult it. In fact, sometimes we wait until the absolute crisis moment so pick it up and to begin to think about what God's perspective on any particular moment might be. That's why essential to the Christian life needs to be the Word, the Bible. Pastor Laura said, what's the big idea of your sermon this morning? I said, read your Bibles. So I guess if you wanted to, you could go home now. <laughs> um, but the Word, we really ought to read it and know it and cherish it and study it and meditate on it before we take off. On the Christian life. So this morning we're going to talk about knowing and cherishing God's word so that we can be ready for everything that comes our way and everything that God calls us to do. And we're going to get this out of just a couple of verses in one of the Apostle Paul's letters to one of his mentory buddies, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So the words are going to be up on the screen. If you're watching at home and you're watching through the website. The Bible translation is just to the right of the picture. You can consult it there. You can use your Bible app on your phone or whatever. There's a million ways to consume the Word these days. I just want to encourage you to do that and follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book that we call the Bible is designed to be our source and our authority. Paul describes it here as being God-breathed. He literally uh, em- empowered those who were going to write the books of the Bible, infuse them with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, so that everything they wrote down would be stuff that it was important for us to be able to consume. And, and, and there's a comprehensive nature to this. Do you see the little three-letter word, All? All Scripture is God-breathed. You can, if you want, if you're of a mind, you can study this in depth. There's there's really good uh, works out there. The Case for Christ by a guy named Lee Strobel. Uh, The Historical Reliability of the Gospels by one of my old professors, Craig Blomberg. You know you're getting old when your seminary professors are about to retire. Uh, But anyway, uh, those things can help us see... But I think one of the most helpful ways to see the authoritative power of the Scriptures is to think about how Jesus viewed the Scriptures. And so in chapter uh, 4 of the Gospel of Matthew, he, 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 rebe- excuse me, he repeats this phrase over and over again. It is written. That's his reference point. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says that the Scriptures are going to be fulfilled in him. And other New Testament writers do this as well. In fact, in the New Testament, there are over 800 allusions or direct quotations from the Old Testament. And the New Testament, the Bible is is authoritative by virtue of the apostolic connection. That is, that all the books in the New Testament are either the result of apostles directly writing or somebody who was immediately connected to those apostles capturing the words that the Holy Spirit would have them. Right Now, there are parts of the Bible that people don't like. And recently, when I say recently, I mean in the last 20 years or so, an outfit convened, they called themselves the Jesus Seminar. And here's what they did. When they got the passages in the Bible that they just didn't particularly like, they cast these little colored tiles to vote for what they thought should stay in and what should go out. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, went through the New Testament and he cut out every example of every miracle that's recorded there because he thought, eh, the wisdom might be okay, but I don't want to get near any of that miracle stuff. So if the word is authoritative, it needs to be authoritative in our lives, right? God gave us this word to help us navigate this life. Sometimes, though, sometimes, though, and I've observed this phenomenon during this pandemic more than I care to count, sometimes we set up our opinions as authoritative. Now, let me be crass here for just a moment. Our opinions are kind of like armpits. Everyone has a couple, and sometimes they just stink. (laughs) And, we, and you, we cannot set up our opinions or emotions as authoritative, right? If it feels good, do it. Oh my gosh, really? Or just do what you feel is the right thing in your heart. But the Word says, the book of Jeremiah, that the human heart is deceitful. Our heart tricks us. How many of you have, have observed... A toddler's temper tantrum. Anybody ever observed a toddler's? How pleasant are those? But think about this. A toddler's temper tantrum is really them just acting out, living their lives according to their feelings. Now, you and I, our temper tantrums might not look exactly like a toddler's temper tantrum. But if we live out our lives exclusively according to our feelings, if we we, uh, let our emotions drive the train, man, we could be setting ourselves up for some serious trouble. So that's why Paul here says the Word of God, the Bible, is authoritative for us, for churches, for us together, for us individually. Now, in this passage that I read to you just a few minutes ago, there's a personal pronoun in there, the second-person pronoun Y-O-U. Now, we don't always see this in our English translations of the Bible because both the singular version of that pronoun and the plural version of that pronoun are the same word, right? Y-O-U. In in Texas, when I lived there, you know, they translated the plural version as y'all. Which, you know, you knew meant more than one. But here in the Bible, we don't always get to see that. This Y-O-U, by the way... Paul is coaching his young protege, Timothy. So this second-person pronoun is singular to him, but applicable to, well, you all, all of us along the way. And what he is encouraging to have happen is that a cohort of Jesus' followers arise that is immersed in God's Word. Now... In a couple of minutes, we're going to see that the word is useful. Now, by the way, you know that a couple of minutes is a rough time frame, right? It doesn't necessarily mean two minutes from now. So stop the stopwatches right now. So we're going to see that the word is useful. But, but before we get to that, I want us to take a little detour to that Psalm 119 that Pastor Laura read for us and, and see that the word of God has what we'll call intrinsic value. Now when I teach ethics to undergraduate students, I have to distinguish for them the idea of intrinsic value and instrumental value. Steve, how much money do you have in your wallet right now? Uh, In my wallet, I don't keep money in my wallet, so zero. Okay. My money clip. Yes, your money clip, Steve. (laughs) Just hold it up for us for a second, would you? Wow. That's a pretty thick money clip there, Steve. So, Steve has his money clip, and in the clip is money. Now, here's the test question. Does money have instrumental value or intrinsic value? What do you think? You're all scared to answer, I can yeah. tell. Pardon? Instrumental. Instrumental value, right? The, 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 the cotton-woven pieces of paper, by themselves, DON'T DO ANYTHING. THEY FUNCTION WHEN WE USE THEM TO PURCHASE THINGS, SO THEY HAVE INSTRUMENTAL VALUE. THEY DON'T HAVE INTRINSIC VALUE. INTRINSIC VALUE IS VALUE IN AND OF ITSELF. SOMETIMES, YOU AND I, WHEN WE APPROACH THE CHRISTIAN LIFE, WE COME AT IT WITH AN INSTRUMENTAL MINDSET. WHAT'S IT GOING TO DO FOR ME? HOW'S IT GOING TO WORK OUT? HOW'S THIS GOING TO HELP ME NAVIGATE THIS PARTICULAR MOMENT I'M IN? BUT I WANT US TO SEE, JUST FOR A MINUTE, before we get off on that instrumental value of the Bible, I want us to see that according to Psalm 119 and many, many other places in the Scriptures, the Bible has intrinsic value. Value in and of itself. Value in and of itself. That's why in Psalm 119, verse 16, the psalmist said, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In verse 20, the psalmist says, My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. See, immersion in the Word should be a joy for us as believers. It should be a joy for us as believers. Not because it might might have necessarily immediate application or immediate practical value, but because it it should be a joy in and of itself. Intrinsic value. But, along with intrinsic value, the the Bible does have instrumental value. It has practical value. Practical use for us in our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he says it's useful. It's useful across the entire range of human need. So there's a couple of three ways here that we can see this, and I'm going to call this spiritual geography, if you will. There's kind of a Christian iPhone apps, maps app application here. The very first time we came here, uh, we, um, we did the maps thing, and you can get the satellite view right to see exactly where the thing is and exactly what it looks like. We did that before we came here the first time. And it, 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 that app helped us kind of navigate the geography to get from point A to point B. So, in the scriptures, we have this kind of navigation help. The Apostle Paul said the word is useful for teaching, basic information. It points out the way. The Bible is useful for rebuking. It points out when we stray from the way. I used to have a GPS in my car, and the the woman in the GPS was just an angry person. Every time I missed a turn, she would say, recalculating. The first time, it was pretty laid back, recalculating. The second time, you could tell she's getting a little annoyed now, recalculating. The third and subsequent times, recalculating. I was afraid she was just going to say one time, you idiot, can't you find the way? I'm trying to tell you how to go. Reviewing. The word is also good for correcting, pointing us back in the right direction. See, uh, when we look in the scriptures, even if we cannot find the specific admonition, advice that's particularly crafted for the particular situation that we face in a particular moment in time, the principles are there. The principles are there. Now, we've been harping on this mask thing for a long time now, it feels like. Um, so you can't go to the Bible and say, Does it say, should I wear a mask or shouldn't I wear a mask? It doesn't say that. But it does say, Love your neighbors as yourself. It does say, do everything you possibly can. It does say, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters. There's the principle. Another way the word works, at least in my life, and it's useful, is what I would call this kind of spiritual workout program, right? If we don't watch what we eat and we don't exercise, we can turn into what I have been, which is kind of this abdominally protruding mass of flesh walking down the street. So, we take steps to correct that. And the Apostle Paul calls that with respect to our spirits and our minds. He calls it training in righteousness, fully fitting us out to live the Christian life. And the cumulative effect, the cumulative effect of this is that you and I understand, react in, and respond to life according to what I will call a Christian worldview? We see things through the lens of Scripture. I am nearsighted. If I take off my glasses, you all suddenly become these amorphous blobs. Some of you are different sizes than others. I can tell the colors, but I couldn't make you out individually to say my life without my glasses i can read things if i do this oh yeah i see that word but when i put the glasses back on i have corrected vision so that i can see not only what is right in front of me but i can see what's coming and what's ahead And you and I, when we wander around without considering what the Scriptures have to say to us about things, we are nearsighted spiritually. We can only see what's right in front of us. And what's right in front of us consumes our attention. We don't have a, a wider view. We don't see the bigger field. We don't understand what's coming, what's out there. We don't have that perspective that we get if we view things through the lens of Scripture. My mom and my dad lived in El Paso, Texas for a long time. And so we visit them every now and then. And uh, they had a backyard pool. It wasn't fancy, but it was wet. And they had a screen door. And we, I loved El Paso. Here's one of the reasons why. It gets hot in El Paso. I mean, we're talking hot, right? Hot in El Paso. But the humidity is really, really low. And so, if you step into the shade, even if it's 100 degrees, if you step into the shade, you immediately begin to cool down. So, my mom and my dad, they didn't run an air conditioner a lot. They ran what they called a swamp cooler to just humidify the air a little bit. And so they keep the screen doors open, or the screen doors, the doors open, but the screen door, you know, shut. So, one day, I'm looking up from the table, which was right near the screen door, and there is the biggest stinking grasshopper like bug I've ever seen in my entire life. I am not making this up. This thing was about this big. Giant claws, huge eyes, looking inside as if to say, I want what you're having for breakfast. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, okay, we probably ought to get rid of this thing. And so my dad had some bug spray. Now, if you live in El Paso, Texas, you have to have this highly, highly powerful bug spray at hand because all kinds of things will crawl your way. In El Paso, Texas, and so we had this super duper killer bug spray, and I got it, and I drenched this thing. I mean, when I was done, it was soaking and dripping from this insecticide, and looking at me like I had just anointed it just a little bit. So eventually, it hopped away. But the screen kept the bug. On. When we are immersed in the Word of God, it keeps the bugs out. It's a filter to help us reflect on and and respond in a Christ-like manner to those things that come our way. I don't know if you know the Christian song uh, writer and singer Amy Grant. She's uh, from back in, you know, Steve's era. Um, In the previous century. She has a song that she sings called "Fat Baby." I'm just going to read you the lyrics. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell; he might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He's saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets a spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual vest and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He's sampled solid foods once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him as cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions, they're stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible. In John 3.16, he's got the biggest King James Bible you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's Mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. When we go grocery shopping, we do not stop in the Gerber baby food aisle and fill up our shopping cart with baby food because, theoretically, we are no longer babies. We like adult food, substantive food, solid food. And when the Apostle Paul writes about The word, he's encouraging us to eat nutritious spiritual meals so that in those two verses we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We went to Colorado two weekends ago to uh, visit the family, see some kids play baseball. Ah, it was wonderful. And uh, we came back. We were going to go to Virginia for the second week, but you know, they had a hurricane. We thought hurricane plus COVID, probably not a really good idea, so we didn't go. And when we got back, I paid a little more close attention to the uh, the professional baseball league standings. And I discovered that the Royals and the Red Sox are not doing very well this year. In fact, they are duking it out for the worst record in the American League. I love baseball. I like watching baseball. I loved playing softball. And when we do that, we realize it's always more fun to be in the game than to watch the game. Always more fun to be in the game than to watch the game. Now, the pro teams, they've got grounds crews and, and they've got a specific uh, advice for each particular position and they have specific positions that they play, right? If you're a second baseman, you don't usually pitch. If you're a left fielder, you don't usually catch, because they have focused jobs to do. And listen, in the kingdom of God, all of us, you, me, all of us, we have specific things that God has called us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you and I, we are God's workmanship, handicraft created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. So, what we need to do, I think, collectively and personally, individually, is develop this kind of reflex that says, what does the Bible say? Am I doing what the Bible says? Now, Pastor Laura and I, we are readers. We usually each have a couple, three books going at any different moment in time. I don't know how this happens, because every time we move, we call out books from our library and give them away, but every time we move, it still takes us like 60 boxes to get all the books packed up and move to the next place. We have to find abodes that we can live in that have a room just for the books, because that's kind of who we are. Now, not everyone, I get it, not everyone is a reader in that kind of way. My stepson, Matthew, whom I loved dearly, was in high school, and I don't remember what the subject was. But I said something like, well, you know, there's a book about that. And he said to me, the words resonate in my brain still. He said, I don't read no books. But when he was going to get his commercial driver's license, he consumed that thing. He knew it inside out and forwards and backwards. My oldest grandson, our oldest grandson, Seth, is not a uh, rabid recreational reader. But he had a girlfriend who was from Brazil. And uh, he was going to go see her and her family over a summer, a couple summers ago. And so he wanted to learn Portuguese so he could kind of fit in. He immersed himself in that. He got that Rosetta stone program, and he was Portugueseing left and right and up and down and every day and every night. He took it all in so he could be prepared for the environment he was going to be good at. Or visiting. Wouldn't it be great if we had that same kind of attitude towards the scriptures? You can read it if you're a reader. You can listen to it if you're a listener. You can watch it if you're a watcher. When I was commuting from Topeka to Overland Park every day, I had the Bible on CD. I had the Bible edition called The Story on CD. And over the course of several weeks, I got from the beginning to the end of that thing just by listening, just during a time when I would normally be in the car anyway. So I just want to encourage us to 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 hear what the scriptures have to say. And I want to ask us to think about this. James chapter one, verse two says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if you and I, as professed believers in Jesus, would approach this pandemic's silliness with joy rather than crankiness? Wouldn't it be a powerful testimony to those around us? I mean, I'm not saying we would pretend it's not happening or not acknowledge the tragedy of those who die and not take all the steps we need to take to help and protect the people around us. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you encounter a pandemic of any kind. Listen, grumpiness is not a spiritual gift. Crankiness, curmudgeonliness, these are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. The Apostle Paul lists in his list of the fruit of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great when we heard social media cranks say their stupidness? Wouldn't it be great if we said, I know that's stupidness, but I'm going to choose joy. Wouldn't it be great if we acknowledge the reality of the world and say, I know it's a complicated time, but I'm going to choose joy. I hate wearing a stinking mask, but I'm going to choose joy. You see, last fall we put in that deluxe new sign out there on the corner. And I really like it. Mostly because they don't have to walk through the oak mites to change the sign every week. But really, 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 that's not our church sign. Really, 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 you're our church sign. I'm our church sign. So I think if we took the word in, we could even endure COVID and face this trial with pure joy. Not pretending it's not there, artificial happiness. That's not what the Bible talks about. It talks about a deep-seated realization that no matter what God is in charge, consider it pure joy. So, Pastor Laura asked me what the big idea of the message was. Read your Bibles. It's taken me 28 minutes to get there, but there we are. Pray with me this morning. Father, We thank you for the privilege of your word. Uh, We know that our minds are formed by various, various things. Our spirit is informed by various, various things. But help us, Lord, to see the power that's available to us when our spirit is fueled on your word. Make us hunger for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.